Divide and conquer. It's an old strategy, right? Divide an enemy to conquer an enemy. To make a group of people disagree and fight with one another so that they will not join together against a common enemy. A favorite tactic of the evil one. It's what the world and the flesh and the devil seek to do to us constantly. One of Satan's favorite tactics. See, he had attacked the gospel and he had failed. We've seen that as the gospel was attacked with trying to bring circumcision and keeping of the law into our justification. And the church had worked through that. They had held on to the gospel. They had published the gospel and the good encouraging news. So they, um, now Satan turns his attack onto the personal relationships, onto the unity of the church, to divide the church personally and attacks a very productive missionary team. See, arguments are often spurred in our own lives and in the church over peripheral matters. Issues that are not matters of righteousness. Issues that are not clearly spelled out in God's Word. And what we're going to see today, and it's not what we expect. And we, we read about Paul's conversion. We, we, we've read about Barnabas. We read about men of God in the Bible. And we don't expect them to do what happens in the text today. But it happens. The best men are only men at best, I've heard it said. And there's a sharp disagreement here over peripheral matters. In fact, what we have here between Barnabas and Paul is what we would call a knockdown drag out. It's a fight. It's not the way this should have been handled. And they go their separate ways. I've entitled this sermon, Sharp Disagreement, simply because there's a, that's what it says in verse 39 in the ESV in my translation. I think it was what most of you are using. Sharp Disagreement from verses 15, chapter 15, 36 to 41. And really the main point that I want you to take away this morning is actually a warning. It's a warning. And the warning is this. Without having the gospel in the forefront, Differences of opinion often become sharp disagreements. Without having the gospel in the forefront, without the gospel being the lens through which I view you and everything else, differences of opinion often become sharp disagreements. Be warned. But look at it verse first. A difference of opinion between Paul and Barnabas. It says this, after some days, how many days? We don't know. And in verses 36 to 38, we see simply a, a difference of opinion, right? In verse 36, after some days, all that means is some time has passed. We're, we're down the road a bit. Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren or the, in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they're doing. So let us go. What, we, what he's talking about is what we know as the second missionary journey. That's not what he called it because. But they were going out. They were being faithful ministers. They were going to go back through where they had proclaimed the word and check on and nurture and strengthen the churches as they had been doing. They'll go beyond that to new places. We know. But Paul is saying, Let, you know, we've been here. We've been refreshed. Yes, we went through a battle, but we've had time to recover. And, you know, now it's time to get on with the work. So let us go and return where we preach the word and check on the churches and see how they are 
and strengthen them. So that's a good thing, right? There's no problem yet. This is a good thing. This is what they're about. This is what they're meant to do. And it says then in verse 37, Now Barnabas, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Now if you remember, who is Barnabas? Well, Barnabas is the son of encouragement called in chapter 4. He's the one who, who takes people in and helps them, you know, encourages them, strengthens them, help other people understand them. He's one, he's one that works for unity in the church. So much so that the, the church had named him the son of encouragement. He's a gracious man. That's in Acts 4.36. We went through that if you want to look back at that. And listen, the other thing that we know, surely Mark is, dis John Mark, which we'll know later in Mark, surely he's discouraged, right? Because we know what happened on the first missionary journey. They went through home territory, which is the island of Cyprus, and as soon as they left there and went up to what we know as modern-day Turkey, it wasn't very long before he said, sorry guys, can't take this, I'm out of here. This is not what I thought. I don't know what he said, but he left. He abandoned them, as we'll see Paul bring up. And surely that caused them hardship. If you're going on a mission, if you plan for a mission, and you know, if you've planned for three people to help and one leaves, one-third one of the workers are gone, which means the other two have to pick up the slack. And I'm sure, and I'm... I'm I'm judging gracious and I'm judging based on what we know later about his life. I'm sure he's discouraged about that. And I sure Barnabas wants to encourage him because John Mark has failed. And a lot of us know what that feels like. And so Barnabas wants to give him a second chance. And listen, the verb here seems to indicate that Barnabas has already made up his mind. And this is a warning. <laughs> if, you're, if you're working as a team and you're negotiating or you're working as a couple or whatever situation you're having to work with other people, let it be a real discussion. Right? It's a peripheral matter. But he's, it seems that he's already determined. He's already made up his mind. He's kind of dug his heels in in a place. Why might that be so? Well, not only does he want to encourage John Mark... John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. He's family. You can look that up in Colossians 4.10. I'm not going to go there this morning. We've already talked a little bit about that. But this is family. So not as this, only, this is not only a church relationship. This is a family relationship. And sometimes we dig our heels in, in even farther when it's kinfolks, right? Southern lingo. But it's his cousin. And he wants to take them with him. He, wants, he believes better about John Mark, I'm sure. And he wants to give him an opportunity to repent and to prove himself. Because he thinks he's useful. So he says to Paul, let's, let's take him with us. And look at verse 38. But Paul thought it best not to take with them... Not even using, I'm not even using his name. One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. And we know Paul. Paul's also a gracious man, and he's certainly been transformed, and he certainly knows what the grace of God is. But he's saying, "Do you remember what hardship that caused us when he bailed?" On the mission, he put his hand to the plow. He looked back. 
And He ran out on us. And yes, God still did a great work, but you remember the hardship that caused. It's probably not wise to take one who started but didn't finish. Who bailed on the work. And he's right. I mean, you can go back to 1313 and see where John Mark decided, you know, he is out of here. And he caused them a lot of trouble. Paul is, Paul is saying, and he's trying to remind Barnabas probably, that, man, we need reliable help. Remember what that was like. Yes, God did a great work. He saved a lot of people and He planted churches through us. But it was hard. Remember the persecution we faced. Remember the opposition we faced. Remember how hard that gospel worked. We need a proven gospel warrior because this one's going to be harder than the last one probably. Because the word's already out about us. Right? So we need somebody reliable. We, we can't do this. And see, the hard thing right here is there's no clear, thus says the Lord. There's no, there's no clear answer here. Because Paul is right. Barnabas is right in a, in a way. You can, you can kind of see making both cases, right? So w- when that's the fact, when we have a disagreement and there's, there's no obvious answer I want a red Toyota she wants a blue one and we don't praise God for his provision but that's just a preference right and I'm probably going to get a blue one but (laughs) I've been married a long time no (laughs) Uh, but we need to work we need probably need others to help us work through at that point we certainly need to be crying out on the Lord to the Lord. But this is an important matter. There is certainly a soul involved. It's something where they don't have a clear, this is what we should do. We must decide on biblical principles and not on personal desires. There must be humility. Because as I said, it's easy to see Barnabas' side. The gospel is all about second chances. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about grace, right? So Barnabas is making that case. Mark probably is asking to go. I'm just guessing. But he, he probably wants to go. And so Barnabas is making that case. And as I said, it's easy to see Paul's side too. And you can imagine Paul saying something like, let him dig in here at Antioch. Let him prove his mettle here. Let him go through some hardship and and growing in discipleship here. And then next time he can go. Because after all, missions is not for sissies, Barnabas. I don't know. You know, who knows what's going on here. But the option, their whole bunch, there's a lot of options, which they're not all easy. But think about it, you could take Mark and another assistant. You could take Mark and somebody else, just in case Mark bails again. It doesn't leave you in the lurch. But then you've got another mouth to feed. You're not another, you have another soul to house. Or you could have a conversation with Mark and encourage him and, and strengthen him and to engage and grow a bit more and, and grow towards going next time proving himself there in Antioch. You certainly could ask others to get involved. Man, we don't, we're, we're on different sides of this. We really can't see a clear answer. What do you think? Pray with us. Help us. We don't see that happening. I think that's a mistake. 
No record of praying about it here. But there's a difference of opinion. And there's this, you can hear the rumbling in the background. There's this growing situation. There's some warnings going on here that at least for a time go unheeded. I remember when Mount St. Helens blew up, there was an old man that lived on Spirit Lake up there that they warned him about things fixing to blow. He wouldn't leave. It blew. And he he left. (laughs) Yeah, sadly. There are warning signs here. There's there's tremors. There's There's an earthquake coming. There's something about to happen. Reach out for help. Sharp disagreement. It blows. Look at look in thirty nine to forty one. Sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. You ever had that happen? You have a and as kids, you know, we're playing football and, and we have a big blow up. And you, especially if it's your ball, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. None of our children ever do anything like that, right? This word for severe disagreement is a severe argument based on intense difference of opinion. Paul is dug in. Barnabas is dug in. They are at least pictorially speaking, face-to-face. They're both in the spit zone. You ever watched a baseball game when a manager gets mad about a call? You ever see Billy Martin? Some of, if you're not old, you'd have to go look for the film. But Billy, Billy Martin run out of the dugout, kicking dirt on the umpire, throwing his hat, and just have an absolute fit. Well, they're both in one another's face over this issue. And this don't no need to water it down. This is an intense argument. This is a fight. So two godly men are going at it. And it's not over justification by faith alone. And it's so intense that they separate from one another. Man, if you've walked through the first missionary journey and you've seen all that they've been through, and when you go through tough things together, the guys know about combat and other things, you go through tough things together, you really get bonded, you either, or you bonded together. These are close. They're close. And yet, knock down, drag out, separation. It looks... Hopeless, at this point, at least. Barnabas, look what it says in verse 39. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Home. That's home territory for them. Barnabas took Mark, not his football, and he was out of there. And this is, this is a sad way to leave the narrative. This is the last thing we hear in Acts. About Barnabas. That's it. He takes Mark. And he goes to Cyprus. I'm assuming to do gospel work. And go back and check on the people they've witnessed to. They're back. 
I don't know that. I think that. But, verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been, and it seems that the church sides with Paul here. Right? And we know Paul was an apostle and all that. But it says, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended to, by the brothers to the grace of God, similar to the first missionary journey, and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we'll, we'll see the, as we go into chapter 16, we'll see the second missionary journey kick off. And we leave this discussion, this fight, right here for the rest of the book of Acts. That's hard on you mercy people, isn't it? Us, we better all be mercy people. Some of us are more reconcilers than others. Barnabas to Cyprus. Nothing else about him. Paul and Silas. Uh, second journey. And, and, and off they go. Division. And I know what every one of you are saying. Please don't leave us there. Please tell me what happened. There had to be something happened. Now, I'm going to have to... The Bible doesn't tell us. Not outright. It doesn't give us the process. But just imagine. You know Christ, right? You are a believer. You know when the Spirit is convicting you about something. You know how, God, how miserable God can make you about something in your sin. Now, Barnabas has gone this way. And Paul has gone this way. And they, they can't write letters to one another. They don't know where they are. They can't text. They can't email. They can't call. Imagine the conviction that they had to deal with. Because you know the Spirit is at work convicting them both of their sin. And how the role and the part that they played in this knockdown, drag out fight that should have been handled better, should have gotten more people involved. There should be some mention of prayer here. There should be some mention of working through it together and coming to a godly conclusion, but there's not. And all we're left with is division. And, and we just trust conviction. And they have to wait a long time to even be able to deal with that. Think about that. Just carrying this. Now God still uses, we'll see in the, in the missionary journey, God's still using, we assume He's using Barnabas and Mark. But we don't know. We don't have all the information we want. I want to give you a little bit of evidence of reconciliation, okay? And then we'll move on. But just a little evidence, and there's a little more, but I don't want to spend too much time on this. There's a little evidence of reconciliation with Barnabas later when Paul makes the case that Barnabas should be paid for his work, including with himself. So there's evidently still some relationship there, which would mean there was a reconciliation there. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, written later, it says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? To draw a salary from gospel work. So he's, he's, he's sort of, he's making a case and making it not only for himself, but for Barnabas. So there seems that there's been a, a reconciliation in that relationship. And I'm just, again, I'm using my imagination. I'm using what I know about God and how he convicts his saints. But I know, at least I sur surmise, that the first chance they had 
after all of this time with God's conviction and seeing things more clearly, the first chance they had to come back together, there was a lot of sorries. A lot of forgive me, a lot of hugging, a lot of reconciliation. But Paul there is mentioning Barnabas. Again, I have no other mention of Barnabas in Acts. So we, can, we don't have in like chapter 17 where they came back together and reconciled and the, you know, the, the music was playing. Now. And how about Mark? Paul is like, this dude cannot go. He is not trustworthy. He cannot go with us. Well, by the end of Paul's life, in the, in the last letter he writes, he says this in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, Luke alone is with me. Luke wrote Acts. Luke alone is with me. Now watch this. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he's not very useful to me. He is very useful to me in ministry. For ministry. Mark had been granted repentance and growth. And by the time Paul is about to lose his head for the gospel. He's saying bring Mark. He is very useful. So there's reconciliation there with Mark. There's reconciliation with Barnabas. And yes we have to use sanctified imagination on a lot of that. But guess what? Don't give up on people too early. Guess who Mark becomes? He wrote a book in your Bible, the Gospel of Mark. He becomes an associate of Peter. And what you have is a condensed version of Peter's preaching in the Gospel of Mark, written by the very guy who abandoned the mission. I mean, church tradition teaches Mark is the author all the way back through Papias, or however you say his name, to the Apostle John. That he was the author of that Gospel. So God even uses our failures to grow us in grace. I'm thankful for that. I, I mean, I could tell you story after story of my own failure in the church. And God not giving up. Don't give up on people too quickly. Don't presume. Don't do dumb things. But don't give up on people too quickly. So they're reconciled, there's fruitful ministry, and we'll see at least Paul's side of that as we move on into chapter 16. But I just wanted to stop and ask you a question. We see a fight. We see at this point no reconciliation. We see evidence of reconciliation later in Paul and Barnabas' relationship and in Paul and Mark's relationship. How does biblical reconciliation take place? Because these are two godly men. You know that they did it according to God's word. With the help of the church. So how does biblical reconciliation take place? And I, it's a series of sermons on this. So just give a few things that you think about. We can talk more if you need to. But negatively, I want to say this first. Negatively, reconciliation does not take place through sharp disagreement. That's not the process. I just want to warn you because some of us are of the umph and the, and the mindset that if you give it to me, I'm giving it right back to you. You don't have to wonder where I stand. If you make me mad, you will know. That's not a spiritual gift. <laughs> you know what that is? It's that big P word. Pride. It's not Humility. Just because Paul and Barnabas, godly men, 
did it doesn't mean it is right and it doesn't justify it. No more than Peter denying Jesus would justify us going and doing the same thing. This is a failure. Sharp disagreement is a failure. Aggressiveness is not justified by them doing that. The only anger is justified in the life of a Christian is righteous anger against sin and it's not to be expressed unrighteously. And Jesus never did. Paul had learned that lesson theologically but he'd also learned it experientially and part of it was this issue in this time right here. In 2 Timothy, the same book I referenced a while ago, the last letter he writes... Look at what one of the things he says is in 2 Timothy 2.24. And I'll just pause right here. God used this verse to crush me. Because my nature after I was converted was debater. Face to face. In the computer room of the power company. Won a debate over creation and evolution. And when I walked away, the girl I was talking to said to my friend, if that's a Christian, I never want to be one. Word got back around to me, crushed me, but God used it to help me. But look what he says in 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to most people. Some people are hard to be kind to. I'm just honest. But Jesus calls us to be. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, certainly in a, in a pastor or a missionary, but even down to the pew. We must not be quarrelsome, but be kind. Now watch this. Kind to everyone. Able to teach. Maybe a more specialized reference there. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's not how I grew up. That's not how we corrected our opponents. I'm doing this on purpose. But the gospel changes things. The gospel calls me to and enables me to turn the other cheek. To trust that to God. Right? To not be a quarrelsome person anymore. See, Paul knew theologically and experimentally, experimentally that sharp disagreement is not the way. God does not say, chew them out first and then work on forgiving them. I need to talk, don't I? Because that's uncomfortable. I need to move away from that. I'm not saying you don't have a right to defend yourself or your family or any of that. But this is not how this should have gone. It should not have degenerated into a sharp disagreement. It should have been handled with grace and prayer and discussion and other counselors. Every time, did you know that outbursts of anger are listened, listed in the same list with idolatry and adultery? And well, I'm just a person with a bad temper. Okay, you just confessed identifying by your old nature and not your new nature in Christ. 
You're a new person. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You have the same power at work in you that raised Him from the dead. And so instead of leaning to your natural default setting, how about leaning on Jesus and saying, my old man was an angry man or my old woman had a short temper, but now in Christ I have everything necessary for life and godliness. Every time I have an outburst of anger, I need to confess it to God and to the person I had it on. Because even if I'm right, I handled it wrong. And again, if it's righteous anger against sin, we still need to handle it in a biblical way. Not like Billy Martin handled the umpires. Godly appeal. We can be firm without being sinful. But we're defending self most of the time when there is the first response. Paul and Barnabas, I'm convinced, dealt with this as soon as they possibly could and they carried that conviction. But the way forward, the way to reconcile is not to let them have it first and then work on reconciliation. It's to own who you are in Christ and to respond like Christ to difficulty. So positively. Let me, let me just suggest four things and I'm done. Negatively, we're not justified in sharp disagreement but here's how we're to handle it let me let me give you a little advice and if you'll take this advice it will help you on the authority of the word of god before you say this to yourself we don't always say it out loud but before you say this in any way i cannot believe what they did to me i cannot believe what they said to me before you say that when the thing happens when the stressor comes at you This is hard. Instead of saying, look at what they did to me. Say this to yourself. Look at what I did to Jesus. In other words, I'm saying look to the cross. Look at what I did to Jesus. I can't believe what Jesus has done for me. I can't believe what Jesus has said to me. I was his enemy. He should have crushed me in condemnation. But he died on the cross for me. Paid the penalty for my sins. Raised as reigning for me. Has granted me the gift of repentance and faith and adoption as a child of God. Look what he's done for me. Look at how much I've been forgiven. In other words, remember the gospel and how God has dealt with your sins. And listen, do this before you have an opportunity for an argument. Do this every morning when you get out of bed. Stand in awe of Jesus and the grace that is yours in Him. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? If you're not trusting in Jesus, if you're rejecting Jesus, this is not true of you. You are under condemnation for your own sin and you need a Savior. You need to turn and trust in Christ because He's the only one. But if you're trusting in Jesus, you can know that He took the wrath due you onto Himself. He took hell for you. Every time in your life you sinned against God, 
you were poking your finger in Jesus' eye. Worse than that, but just a visual picture. An act of rebellion against God, wanting nothing to do with Him, wanting Him to be your genie and serve you, but not wanting Him to order your life. Every time we sin, we're rebelling against Him. We were hating Him. We were rejecting Him. We were crucifying Him. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised. You say, I don't know if that's true. He was raised the third day from the grave. Proving it's all true. And guess what He does to us? He gives us salvation as a free gift. He doesn't make us earn it. Because He's earned it. When we turn and trust in Him. Justification. God declares us righteous on the basis of His Son. With whom we are then united through faith. Cleansed from all of our sin. Clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Adopted into Jesus' family. Nobody else could ever hurt me the way I hurt Him. So before you put self up front and say, I can't believe what they said to me. I can't believe what they did to me. Be living in the reality. I can't believe what Jesus did for me. And therefore what He has said to me. Gospel. And Drawn me to Himself. Forgiven. I have been forgiven much. I can respond with grace. Because He's empowered me to do it. So, look first to the cross. Not to the enemy or whoever. The family member or whoever is pushing your buttons. Because you are responsible for your own response. Nobody can make you sin. As I think it was Kevin DeYoung said. People can push your buttons. But they're your buttons. People know how to push your buttons. People get to know you. Especially those closest to you, right? I can push her buttons in a way that none of you can. And I don't always do it on purpose. But they're her buttons. And my buttons are my buttons. And my response is all on me. You can't say, they made me sin. They made me do it. God's not going to hear that. And if you have a faithful counselor, they're not going to hear that. Or brother and sister or whatever. So look to Jesus and secondly, be humble. The cross should produce in me a humility. God forgave all of my sin in Christ, gave me forgiveness as a free gift. So any sin against me is small compared to what Jesus, I did to Jesus and what He's done for me. I do not need to take a pound of flesh first. I can just forgive. Turn the other cheek. You remember that? Jesus. Blessing instead of a curse is how we respond to our enemies. If we're to respond to our enemies that way, certainly those in our household, in our church, in our neighborhood. If the, if the cross hasn't made you humble, you haven't embraced Jesus. If you're using the cross to justify pride and haughtiness and We need a rethinking. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me way more than I'll ever forgive anybody else. Take the beam out of my own eye. In other words, look to Jesus. Realize my sin. My sin's way bigger than theirs. If I take that beam out of my eye, then I don't come hypocritically. And I can help someone.
But if I'm batting around my beam, it's meant to be a funny picture. I'm not much good to you. Humility, meekness. It's not weakness. It's not being a doormat. But the cross should produce humility. Number three, suggestion. Before, number one was before you say, I can't believe what they did to me, look at Jesus. I can't believe what Jesus did for me. Number two, humility. The cross should produce humility, a willingness to turn the other cheek. And number three, the cross should push personal opinion to the background if it's not clearly backed up by Scripture. There's no verse on whether to take Mark on the journey or not. No verse. Listen, there's no verse in the Bible or set of verses or good and necessary consequence or anything like that on 99% of the things we fight about. It's so sad the success of the world, the flesh, and the devil in dividing us. Churches split over whether or not to have carpet or what colors the wall are or whether we're going to eat fried chicken or not. We are. The gospel sets us free to eat fried chicken and bacon. Who said that? Somebody said bacon. But put, let personal opinion be pushed to the background if it's not clearly backed up by Scripture. Many, many, most sharp disagreements come from me defending me and my turf. Come from me being primary. I can't remember the last argument I had where I had to take up for Jesus. It's usually me messing up and me defending myself. So push personal opinion to the background. See, that's, Mark made the mistake, I mean Mark, Barnabas made the mistake of seemingly coming in with his mind made up. Maybe Paul did too once he got into the discussion. They didn't get help from others and all of that. Personal opinion was doing this. And in all situations as well as this situation, God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over and help both of them repent. And come back together. Cross focused. Jesus focused life. Humility flowing from the cross. Personal desire and opinion. Background. So that we can be quick to forgive. I'm going to end with looking to Jesus too. But be quick to forgive. For and like Jesus. Reconciliation is impossible without forgiveness. And if you deny forgiveness... I don't think you're not a Christian. Your, your forgiving others has been earned by Jesus, not them. That's why I'm trying to get you to look at Jesus first. Many times they won't deserve it. Forgive in your heart quickly. And watch out for bitterness. Bitterness is like a root in a vine. It'll twist up in you and twist you up. Because you are holding it against in your heart. We're immediately forgiven our heart. We extend it when they ask for forgiveness. But forgiveness needs to live in us. Because we live in Jesus. Look at this. Colossians 3.12 to 13. We struggle over election. But we really need to get over that. Look another verse. But put on then as God's chosen ones. 
elect ones. Put on then as who you are, God's chosen ones. You are, this is still talking about what you are, holy and beloved to God in Christ, because of Christ. As God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved from that standpoint. See what I'm talking about? Reminding yourself of that, living in gospel reality, keeping your focus on Christ and on the cross. Now, from that stance, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and bearing with one another. You're going to need all of that. Because naturally speaking, we're going to aggravate one another. You know when that will stop? When we are glorified. Since you're God's chosen ones, be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. Bear with one another. And watch this. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other because they deserve it. Are you reading the Bible with me? Some of y'all went. If anyone, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Oh, so you must also forgive. As you have been forgiven, you must forgive. But, like, it's not like, because the gospel should give me such joy that I have been forgiven and reconciled to God that I am joyfully willing to extend that to you. I'm willing to think the best of you when I, my mind is right. I'm willing to forgive you and let love cover a multitude of sins. And when they're serious, to be able to already have forgiven you in my heart when you come and say, I am so sorry. And in fact, I have people come and say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I don't remember that. But in their minds, they know it happened and God's been convicting them. And so they're dealing with it and coming and saying they're sorry. And so you extend forgiveness, even for stuff you don't know about. <laughs> you set them free. But notice what the what look, stop. Look at back in the text. Notice what my forgiving of you is based on. It's not based on you doing something first. It's not based on you being good enough for me to forgive you. It's not based on anything in you. But as the Lord has forgiven me, I must forgive you. You see where the look is? See where the gaze is? Jesus purchased me forgiving you. Jesus deserves for me to forgive you. And if I'm living in Christ and I have a gospel mindset, I'm willing to forgive even very hard things because I have been forgiven. What did Jesus say from the cross about those around Him who had crucified Him? Father, crush them right now. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Not really. Look at, look at this, Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Wow. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them in your heart for Christ. 
And listen, it's not about me primarily being set free. I, I don't like that, to tell you the truth. Forgive others so you'll feel better. Well, that's true. But that's way down the list. I'm to forgive them whether I feel better or not. Because of Christ. It glorifies God. It's what he calls me to do. I'm to honor him regardless of how it makes me feel. But notice what it said. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them. And this is speaking to those who are disciples of Christ and followers of him. We have no justification for harboring bitterness in our hearts. And watch this. So that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus warns over and over, if we are unwilling to forgive, we won't be forgiven. Now, what does that tell us? We earn eternal life by being forgiven? No, it means the, God that, the heart that God's at work in, he makes it a forgiving heart. If, if, if you're unwilling to forgive, it's a huge, big, red, I mean, your whole dashboard is lit up with lights. You need to investigate that. It's like when the check engine light comes on, don't just put a piece of black tape over it. If you're unwilling to forgive in your heart, yourself is in the forefront. You're looking to yourself. You're not looking to Jesus. You may not know Him. Let me ask you this question. I promise you I'm almost done. Who are you separated from right now? And it may just be in your heart. Who of your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family member, you name who are you separated from? Who are you refusing to give? Who are you not believing Jesus and letting that go? And people do hard stuff to us. But you know, crucifixion went pretty hard. Unforgiveness never benefits you. Taking the hard steps of grace will benefit you. And you can extend it to others when they repent and ask for it. I'm not saying just go out and just blanketly forgive people and set them off the hook. There's other verses that deal with extending the forgiveness that's already in my heart to another when they come in repentance and ask for it. That's another sermon. But who are you separated from right now? Who have you had a sharp disagreement with? Who have you gone your separate ways? And listen, if you have a forgiven heart towards them and you've tried to reach out to them and they've rejected that, that's really all you can do at this point. Look away from yourself. That's a trap. I don't feel like forgiving them. I don't care. It's not about how you feel. The, the verse above didn't say if you, if you have anything against anyone and if you feel like it, forgive them. Look away from yourself. That's the trap. Look, get away from that. Look to Jesus. Do what He calls you to do and He's earned in your life everything He calls you to do. Even forgiving people who in your eyes don't deserve it because believe me, you didn't deserve for Him to forgive you. See, that's what Paul and Barnabas eventually did. I'm convinced of it. That's what we are commanded to do. 
is to forgive and forsake sharp agreement and trade in that for humble grace. The grace that Christ has demonstrated when He came to, to save us. We can't save ourselves. To live for us in fulfillment of all righteousness. To die for us to pay the penalty for all of our sins. To be raised from the grave proving it's all true. And to give that to you as a free gift when you trust Him. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Then you have been forgiven far more than you'll ever know. And that should transform you into a humble, gracious, forgiving person. See, divide and conquer is coming against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil trying to divide us. Divide our church family. Divide our families. Divide our relationships. But God is sovereign and gracious and overcomes our sin with His grace in Christ. So let us be quick to forgive in our hearts. Let us be quick to extend grace to others the way grace has been extended to us. Because believe me, only grace will keep us together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would work in each one of us a forgiven heart first. That we would repent of our sins and trust in Jesus and know that we have been reconciled to you. Forgiven for all of our sins. Clothed in Christ's righteousness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. A grace life. A mercy life. A gospel life. So grant us forgiven hearts. And flowing out of being forgiven, grant us forgiving hearts. And help us to take that sin that was committed against us and count that to Christ. Help us in our hearts to never hold on to unforgiveness. To never hold on to bitterness. To never be unwilling to extend forgiveness. And to quickly extend it to those around us who ask for it. In infinite supply. Because infinite love has been granted to us in Christ. So help us to know that we've been forgiven and cleansed. Help us to walk in your spirit and power. Help us to live according to your word. And to be people who less and less and less by your grace have sharp disagreements. Have mercy on us. We love you because you have first loved us. We praise you and cry out for your help and ask it. Save and sanctify your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.